My name is Peter Kroll. I'm one of the elders, the elder in charge of our preaching team. And we're really glad to have you here today with us. We're continuing our study of the book of Hebrews this morning. We'll begin near the end of chapter 4. If you have one of the church Bibles, it's on page 943. One of the tensions of any system of government is that once the people hand over power to their leaders, those with the power grow to love the power. And often as a result, they lose sight of the people they were supposed to serve. It's inherent in the concept of authority that the person in authority has a voice with the people such that they must do what he or she says. But how rare and wonderful is it for those same people to have a voice with those in authority? Wouldn't it be great if we had a president and a congress that always made their decisions from a deep knowledge of the needs of their citizens? Well, in the early chapters of the book of Hebrews, we've seen that Jesus is a great king who speaks to us on behalf of God. In fact, he's the only one in the universe authorized to speak on behalf of God. And so we must pay close attention to him. But we'll find in our text this morning that a king is not all that Jesus is. He is also a great high priest. And what that means is that through him, you can have a voice with God. The main idea this morning is that the king who speaks to you for God also speaks to God for you. The king who speaks to you for God also speaks to God for you. And once we see how those two parts of Jesus' job description work, we'll be in a position to understand the dramatic invitation in our text to draw near to God with confidence. That's where we're heading this morning. Let me pray again for our time in God's word. Our Father, we ask that you would please draw near to us through Christ and fill us with your spirit that we might believe and we might trust and we might draw close to you. Help us to see Jesus, perhaps be reminded of things we've known or to see him afresh, that we might see the voice that you have given us with you. Help us now to understand your word and to love you more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we can gain a voice with God, we must remember that point number one, the king speaks to you for God. And so in the, this first verse of our text, the author reminds us of much that he's taught 
already in the book to this point. Here's Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So here he calls Jesus a great high priest, but he is a priest who has passed through the heavens. And that phrase, passed through the heavens, calls back to what he said in chapter 2, that Jesus is no longer on this earth. He has passed through the present heavens and on into the new heaven and new earth, which has already broken into the present. You see, this new heaven and new earth is not only a sweet by and by for the future. It is that, but not only that, it is also a picture of Jesus' cosmic rule as the divine Son of God. Therefore, Jesus is the great king. He's reminding us that he's taken his seat at the Father's right hand. He's the only one authorized by God to speak on behalf of God. And all of that is what it means for him to be, as this verse says, the Son of God and the one who has passed through the heavens. But all of that's just build up and summarizing what he said in this, in this book before this. The main thrust of this sentence in verse 414 comes at the end. Here's, here's the main clause, the main thing he's getting at. Let us hold fast our confession. This is the application of everything he said so far in this book. Hold fast. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the rope that he laid behind him as he passed through the heavens. And what does it mean to hold on to him? It means here that we hold fast to our confession. That we confess Jesus to be our king. And we never stop confessing Jesus to be our king. We hold fast to Jesus who speaks to us for God. That's what it means to hold fast to our confession. When you're tired at the end of the day and all you want to do is to serve yourself, you confess, Jesus is my king. When you're frustrated at the poor treatment you've received at the hand of your classmates or your colleagues, you confess, Jesus is my king. And when things are working, things are going pretty well, and everything is working as it ought, you confess, Jesus is my king. If you want to gain a voice with God, the most important first step is to confess your allegiance to King Jesus. You must listen to the one who speaks to you for God. There is no other way to get through to the Almighty. But we've heard much of that already in these first four chapters of Hebrews. Where does the author go from there? What comes next for those who wish to gain a voice with God? This is point number two. The priest speaks to God for you. 
Let me skip over the last two verses of chapter 4 for now. We'll be back to them in a few moments. But let's say you're ready to confess Jesus as your king. Verse 14 there in chapter 4 also mentioned that he is your great high priest. But do you know what that means? Do you know what a high priest is for? Well, the bulk of chapter 5 is here to help you know what a high priest is for in general so that you might recognize your new high priest in Jesus specifically. Okay, first, let's talk about what a high priest is for in general. Verses 1 through 4 of chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, in this paragraph, the author backs up and he reminds us of how the Old Testament works. He'll he'll keep doing this often throughout this book of Hebrews when he wants to make sure we get it. He needs to remind us of what the Old Testament was about. And in the Old Testament, there was this office this job called the high priest of Israel. A wide variety of men served in that office, but here's what you need to know about the whole point of that office. Here's what a high priest is. It's in verse 1, he says three things about the job of the high priest. A high priest's job is to relate to God. You see, he says, in relation to God. Through offerings, he says, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. On behalf of men, he says, to act on behalf of men. So a high priest relates to God through offerings on behalf of men. That's what a high priest is. That's what he does. Let me explain what this means. First, he relates to God. That means that he must be appointed to the job. Verse 4 says, this is not a job that you can choose for yourself. God must appoint you to the position. God will not listen to just anybody. He doesn't grant access to just anybody. And in the Old Testament, most people who try to approach God's throne end up being burned to ash. Just imagine trying to walk into the president's Oval Office in Washington, D.C. without an appointment. It doesn't matter how important you are. It doesn't matter how legitimate your cause is. It does not matter how great your need is as you plead for, let's say, disaster relief for your area of the country. If you try to walk into that office without an appointment, you will very quickly be swept off your feet 
by men in suits and earpieces. And it's just like that with God, except way riskier. So the high priest relates to God, which means he's appointed. Second, the high priest relates to God through offerings. And that means he knows the protocol. He relates to God through offerings, which means he knows the protocol. Verse 1 says he offers gifts and sacrifices for sins. You see, the high priest has been given the manual on forgiveness, and he follows it. In the 1970 Best Picture winning film, Patton, about the quirky World War II general, there's this scene where the title character gazes through his binoculars, surveying the scene of a decisive victory that he just won against the forces of the German General Erwin Rommel, who wrote a a well-known book about military tactics. And in this scene, Patton's looking through his binoculars, watching his troops win, and he shouts to the sky, Rommel, I read your book! Now, God is not an enemy general for the Nazis. And the high priest is not making waging war against him, but is making peace with him. But the high priest can say the same thing as General Patton. I read your book! And this is how it says, I must make peace. This is how sins can be forgiven. I will take this animal's life as a substitute for the person I represent. So the high priest relates to God through offerings, which means he knows the protocol for forgiveness of sin to become possible. And third, the high priest does all of this on behalf of men, which means that he understands them. He, he gets humanity. Verse 2 says, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, because he knows what it's like to be weak like them. In verse 3, because of this, he must offer sacrifices not only for them, but also for himself. He knows what it is like to be one of them. So he understands their position. He gets their struggles, and he can accurately represent their needs. The high priest does what he does On behalf of men, which means he understands people, humanity. So before you can understand what the author is about to say about Jesus, you need to know these three things about the Old Testament job of the high priest. The high priest relates to God through offerings on behalf of men. He's appointed to the position, he knows the protocol, and he understands human weakness. That's what a high priest is. That's the whole point of that office in the Old Testament. So knowing that, you're now ready to recognize your new high priest in verses 5 through 8. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed 
by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. This author wants you to know that with the new covenant, with the new world order, there is a new high priest. And you need to know that this guy is fully qualified for the job. In verse 5, we're told that Jesus is appointed so he can relate to God. Verse 7, it says that Jesus made offerings, not of lambs or bulls, but of prayers and loud cries. So he knows the protocol. And in verse 8, Jesus learned obedience through suffering, just like we need to. So he fully understands human weakness and he can thereby relate to God on behalf of humans. Jesus meets all three qualifications. He relates to God through offerings on behalf of men. Jesus is our great high priest. And the way the author uses the Old Testament here, I find quite striking. In verse 5, he quotes one verse from a psalm. And then in verse 6, he quotes another verse from a psalm. And both verses are from the same psalm. He's quoting from Psalm 110. And I like how in verse 6 he says, as he says also in another place, it's another place in the same poem. Now, why is this striking, the way he does this? Well, the first quote here is from verse 1 of Psalm 110. In that verse, God the Father appoints the Messiah to the role of king. The author of Hebrews has already used this verse, this very verse in chapter 1, to prove the supreme rule of Jesus over heaven and earth, over all things natural and supernatural. The second quote in verse 6 is from verse 4 of Psalm 110. In that verse, God the Father appoints the Messiah to the role of priest. Now, in ancient Israel, no single person could hold both of those offices, king and priest. When kings tried to act like priests, they would get leprosy and die. And when priests tried to act like kings, they would get conquered and deported to foreign lands. But the author of Hebrews here highlights the fact that in the same poem, in the Old Testament, God first appoints the Messiah as king, and then he appoints him also as priest. So the king, authorized to speak to you for God, is also authorized to relate to God through offerings on behalf of men. Your king is also your priest. This is not true of all the old priests. No one within the nation of Israel could ever hold both 
offices. Only this one person, Jesus, the son of Joseph, the son of God. So the point is this. Once you know what a high priest is and what a high priest does, you'll be able to recognize that Jesus is that guy. That's his job. He's not only your king, but he's also your high priest. In other words, he is not only authorized to speak to you for God, he also speaks to God for you. Why does it matter, though? I think it's easy to learn about Jesus as king and then stop there. Jesus now tells me what to do. He rules me. He is Lord and master. So I'd better sit here, shut up, and listen to whatever I am told. There is some truth to that because he is king after all. He's in charge and we are not. But that is not the sum total of the Christian faith. That's not even the end goal of the Christian faith. Jesus is in the process of gathering his people together and leading them into a glorious future. And in order to get there, he must represent them before God. So because of Jesus, you and I can have a voice with God. You have access through Jesus to the ear of the Almighty. This is what we mean when we often end our prayers with the phrase, in Jesus' name. That's why we say it. We are confessing every time we use that phrase that we can approach God the Father only through our spokesman, Jesus. Now, remember the command from chapter 4, verse 14 that got this whole section started? But we must hold fast to our confession. That means that we now confess Jesus to be not only our king, but also our high priest. And that we never stop confessing him to be our priest. We hold fast to Jesus who represents us to God and speaks to him for us. That's what it means to hold fast to our confession. When you are feeling lonely, unworthy, or unlovable, you confess, Jesus is my priest. When you've made the same mistake for the millionth time, you confess, Jesus is my priest. And even when you feel especially close to God, you confess, Jesus is my priest. If you want to gain a voice with God, the most important first step is to confess your allegiance to King Jesus. But then you must also rest fully on the mercy of priest Jesus. Hold fast to this confession Jesus, you're my king. Jesus, you're my priest. You're the great high priest. Because then you can go and boldly ask God to do mighty things. Sometimes I feel guilty asking for safety or for health for my family. 
just something I struggle with, as though the only righteous things for me to ask for are wisdom and persevering faith. But the Lord has invited us to ask him for things and to ask big, to come before him boldly. You know why? It's because Jesus has already put in a good word for us. Jesus goes before his father and he says, I know a guy. I know a gal. She needs something. You should listen to her. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer and to be weak so he can relate our requests to God. And verse 7 of chapter 5 states explicitly that he was heard. You don't have to wonder about it. The king who speaks to you for God now also speaks to God for you. And God the Father listens to him. So what difference does this make? It begins as a confession of faith. Jesus, you're my king, you're my high priest. But how ought the reality of that confession, of Jesus' merciful priesthood, how ought that to impact those who hold fast to him? Well, this takes us into application and the final stage of gaining a voice with God. Point number three, draw near with confidence. Draw near with confidence. Take a look with me at at those last two verses of chapter 4 that I passed over earlier. Here's where the author tells us what he thinks we should do with this high priest. Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, what we most need is a king who is merciful. And the good news is that this is precisely what characterizes Jesus's kingship there's that throne of grace giving us mercy in verse 16 perhaps you have or you had a parent who was always shaking their finger at you someone for whom you could never be smart enough or obedient enough or successful enough and if so you need to know that that is not what the lord Jesus is like. Jesus couldn't be more thrilled to have you in his family. There is no temptation that you face that he hasn't already faced. So when you struggle with your temptations, he knows what it is like. He faced the same temptations to sin, yet he always chose to do what was right. He knows what it's like to have human flesh and blood. And he still knows what that's like. For the rest of eternity, he'll know what that's like. He knows what it's like to deal with sleepless nights and bothersome neighbors. He understands the power of peer pressure and the pain of living under incompetent leadership. He has grappled with dark 
and lonely questions about whether God is really there and whether God cares. This is our hope that our king is also a great high priest who gets us. He understands. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Does that mean that he is just as weak or insecure as you and I are? Such that maybe he's something of a cosmic helicopter parent who won't let their child experience any risk? No, because verse 15 says, he did all this yet was without sin. He's not like us in that way. He'd never sinned. This is why verse 7 of chapter 5 says that God heard him because of his reverence. So what ought we to do? Chapter 4 verse 16, draw near with confidence to God's throne. Because of Jesus, God's throne is not a throne of condemnation, but a throne of grace. That means he does not give you what you deserve. Grace is all about getting what you don't deserve. When you are in a time of need, this God, this King, this throne is where you will find mercy and grace to help you. I'm always interested when my two-year-old son gets hurt by something. I'm always interested to see which of his parents he will go to for comfort. Not that it's a competition between Aaron and me. She wins, by the way. But i just like to know, where does he first expect to find mercy and grace to help him in his need? And I think we could do similar experiments on every one of us in this room. When you're hurt, when the going gets tough, What is your first instinct where you go to find comfort and help? Because that first instinct is quite telling. It shows you where your heart is most drawn. It shows you where you believe at the deepest of your core, where you are most likely to draw comfort. It shows you what you expect to provide you with the most help. For me, for many years, many, many years, my first instinct has always been to analyze the problem. There's nothing wrong with that in general, but it's telling that that's my first instinct. What just happened? Why am I suffering? Who or what caused this suffering and how can I avoid it next time? What does that say about where I expect to find the greatest help? Right here. Help comes when I take control of a situation to understand it on my own terms and then to fix it on my terms. But by God's grace, I found my prayer life to be more vibrant in the last two years than ever before. I can see God's grace at work. Prayer is not always my first 
instinct, but it takes less and less time these days for me to realize that when the going gets tough and I'm in time of need, the best thing I can do is draw near with confidence to God's throne. The reason is because the one who speaks to me for God also speaks to God for me. Sometimes people distinguish between group prayer and private prayer. But I think the distinction is somewhat artificial. Because every time a spontaneous prayer erupts in your daily life, Jesus joins right in that prayer with you. So every prayer offered by a Christian is a group prayer. When you speak to God, Jesus also speaks to God for you with loud cries and tears if he has to. We need a king who is merciful. But not only that, we need a high priest. And we need a priest who is eternal. A priest whose prayers and offerings will never end so that our salvation will never run out or come to an end or be used up take a look at where our text ends up back in chapter 5 verses 9 and 10 and being made perfect jesus became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. This is the new thesis that will drive the next five chapters. So I won't explain every detail here. The next few sermons will cover it. But you need to know at the end of verse 9 that it's worth it to obey your king because these blessings are for those who obey him. He is the one who speaks to you for God. And you also need to know that in the middle of verse 9, this priest's salvation is eternal because he is the one who speaks to God for you and he will never stop. So how does a person gain a voice with God? Maintain allegiance to King Jesus, the one who speaks to you for God. But then... You've got to know what a high priest is so that you can recognize your new high priest in Jesus, the one who speaks to God for you. Because then when life knocks you down and sinks its teeth into you, you can draw near to God with confidence to find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. You have a voice with God. Because the king who speaks to you for God also speaks to God for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so amazed and grateful that you would give us such a great high priest in Jesus. Not only is he a great king, but he is a great high priest. Jesus, we beg of you that you would plead on our behalf for our forgiveness as we trust in you. We have no hope but you. Please grant us health and safety and encouragement and peace 
with our enemies. Help us to walk with you and to endure to the end. We've banked everything on you. We have bet everything on you, Jesus. We trust you not to fail us. Thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.